Please open your Bibles to Luke 12, 8 through 12. The passage may be found in the Pew Bibles on page 871. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, which is, uh, which is the translation Pastor Wes Holland would prepare preaching from. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you, how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. May God bless our understanding, the reading of his holy word. If you would join with me in prayer. Oh Lord, we ask for uh, your blessing not only on the reading, but also the proclamation of your word. Father, I pray that the um, words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. So here we are, solidly in 2021, and it feels eerily like 2020. Even with the election season finally over and the promise of the vaccine on the way, the sense of uncertainty and difficulty persists. In spite of the ongoing troubles, there are two things, however, that make me very excited about where we are and in this moment in time. First of all, with our government uh, our, our governing authorities in disarray, we can be reminded, or we can remind ourselves to refocus our faith firmly in God alone. Uh, with all the promises that the politicians have been slinging our way uh, this past year during the election season, it's easy for us then to look to them. Uh, for our welfare and happiness. But even government at its best cannot provide for us what God can. In fact, God can provide for us uh, what we need even when government is uh, functioning at its worst. If you're not familiar with Psalm 118, uh, verses 8 and 9, I'd urge you to, to mark this verse down because it's a, a foundational verse for uh, building your, your world and life view, for, for rooting your faith in God. And so Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. 
always remember this. Because the politicians want to direct our gaze at them for all our possible needs. Uh, As you begin 2021, make sure that your trust is rooted and grounded in God rather than any man or any man-made institution. So that's the first reason that I'm excited about where we are in this moment in time. It reminds us, look to God, trust in Him. Second reason for excitement is the opportunities laid before the church. You know, 2020 obliterated many of the false reasons for security that most people trust in. I remember saying in a sermon 20 years ago now at my previous church that people were putting disproportionate faith in medical science. Uh, For many, the security of a prescription or a medical procedure was uh, supplanting their trust in God. And COVID-19 has challenged that optimistic view, that overly optimistic view of medical science. Medical science is not uh, the savior of mankind, nor could it ever be. 2020 has also, uh, well, it's not only challenged our faith in the medical sciences, but it's also weakened our sense of daily abundance. I mean, we live here in America, right? <laughs> uh, we, above all people in the world, have our daily needs met. But remember last spring, last summer, where we were having a hard time finding toilet paper or any paper products? You know, people, we were shaken at that point. The, the supply chain seemed to be broken. Uh, grocery items that we take for granted lifestyle routines that we've always assumed would be there were suddenly upended. We're told to pray. In fact, uh, I think Jack Holloway in the, the um, prayer for the offering you know, referred to the Lord asking us or telling us to pray for our daily bread. You know, we're told to pray for our daily bread, but it's difficult to trust God When a grocery store is only five minutes away, COVID-19 challenged that sense of daily abundance. And this past year is also torn at the fabric of our national union. Uh, There's always, and it's been growing, uh, a sharp divide between the right and the left sides of the political aisle. But now that... Uh, divide has broken free of the political arena, and that divide appears to be producing division and and distrust in every sector of society. Our national union and the freedoms that we enjoy, uh, we've always assumed that they're going to be there, and now they seem to be wobbling. Do I think that we're going to we're on the verge of collapse as a nation. Honestly, I don't think we are. Uh, but we're unhealthy as a nation. And I think all sides of the political divide understand that to be true. 
Um, the point I'm driving at here is that 2020 has caused people to lose their confidence in the things that they've been trusting in. They've seen that medical science, daily abundance, our national union, and we could go on and on and on, uh, but these things are not the foundations for security and happiness that we once thought that they were within the past month. I saw this fascinating study. It popped up, I read it, and I didn't save it, so I don't know where exactly it is. But it was a fascinating study regarding the unexpected upturn of 20-somethings who are seeking out Christianity, seeking to return to the church. Does that surprise you? It surprised me. Now, don't misunderstand. It was not a majority of 20-somethings. But it appeared to be a solid upturn of young people seeking to find a foundation in Jesus Christ because they were realizing the other things that they had been trusting in have proven to be inadequate. I'm excited about the upcoming year, not because of the 20-somethings, although I'm a little excited about that, but I've got three 20-somethings, and, well, uh, and so it's, uh, it's, an uphill, it's an uphill parenting challenge, uh, even when they're in their 20s. Uh, sorry to my daughters who are uh, maybe watching online. <laughs> Um, but uh, I'm excited because the church has a real opening to proclaim Christ into the void that, that has opened up over the past year. Uh, for many who have rejected the claims of Christ, life is beginning to appear to be capricious, to be with no rhyme or reason. They have no place to lay their trust. And when you have that outlook with no foundation, no sense of grounding, no sense to to lay your faith or your trust, well, that outlook on life begins to be unbearable. In fact, mental health difficulties are skyrocketing across our nation. Uh, I was talking with uh, a counselor just last night. He was saying, I have no openings for months. Um, And then there are others who have told me that uh, they thought that they were firmly in control of their lives. But now they're living with daily uncertainty. See, I believe that we have a fantastic opportunity to stand up for Christ and to acknowledge Him to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our family members, even to strangers. This past spring and summer, I wondered, uh, how will we ever reach the world around us? Because of the virus and the lockdowns, nobody's going to want to show up at church or nobody's going to want us going and talking to them. You know, there's this, the social distance has, has, has widened more than the six feet that the, uh, the health professionals tell us to keep. 
There's a, a social distancing between people that, uh, that is stronger and wider than what we recognize being added on or, or urged on by this pandemic. And so now, however, because of this void that has been created, this lack of foundation, I cannot now see how we can't reach them. I think the the world is wide open to hear the gospel. For instance, uh, one of the people in our congregation this week sent me pictures of his neighbors who are feuding publicly. And uh, one is a Trump supporter, one is a Biden supporter, and they're just going at it apparently up and down the street. And so they've resorted to writing these awful curse words on cardboard signs and placing them in their front yard to, to communicate to their neighbors. You know, and as silly as that is, that is a wide open invitation for the gospel. Um, you know, Christians cannot but help feuding neighbors to, to get back together. Uh, blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said. And when they're acting so foolish, the foolishness of the gospel might sound more, um, more sensible than they might otherwise see it to be. We have a Savior that promises a kingdom that will endure, even as we wonder how our nation's going to go forward. We have a kingdom, or we have a Savior who gives us eternal life, even when medical science does not know how to heal our pandemic. Uh, we have a Savior that doesn't just add years to one's life, but promises eternal blessedness in himself. We have a Savior that gives to our world a solid and sure foundation upon which to rest their trust. And I think that we have an opening to talk to the world and to be heard by the world in a way that uh, we haven't been able to do in the past uh, decade or more. So I want you to look at verse 8. We have a wide open door to acknowledge Christ before men. And what does Christ tell us to do? He tells us to acknowledge him before men. Jesus says, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of heaven. I'm excited for the possibilities of acknowledging Christ before men. But then the question is, what if we refuse? What if we deem the cost of acknowledging Christ to be too high because we might be considered to be foolish or we might lose a friend? What if we are ashamed to be known as Christians? What if we are afraid to take a public stand for Christ on the crucial issues of the day? 
Like, for instance, homosexual marriage. Or the claim that Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life. What will become of us then? Is Jesus, oh, Jesus is telling his disciples and by extension telling us to take the eternal perspective. One day there will be an eternal judgment where Christ will acknowledge before the gathered angels those who acknowledged him before men. Made that point last week. But at the very same time, At that very same gathering, there will be a denial of those who refused to acknowledge Christ publicly. Listen again to verses 8 and 9. Jesus said, I tell you, and I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. Verse 9, but the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Staggering. We require a public acknowledgement of one's faith when someone joins the church. We have them come down. We ask the the five membership vows in doing so. Uh, They are making a public acknowledgement of their faith in Jesus Christ. Um, But in the context of our passage, Jesus is not speaking of coming and acknowledging your faith before the church. Rather, he's speaking of acknowledging him in the face of great opposition. And so Jesus is encouraging us to stand with him and not shrink away when we have an opportunity to confess him even if the cost is high. What happens when we lose our nerve and stay silent when we are facing opposition? Are we eternally lost? Is that what Jesus is saying? No, of course not. You cannot earn your salvation by witnessing for Jesus. Verse 8, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels of God. They had their salvation secure before they acknowledged Christ. They're acknowledging Christ before men when they are suffering persecution is a result of them acknowledging Christ and confessing him in their hearts. And so by the same token, you cannot lose your salvation by losing your nerve. In fact, that's what Jesus says in verse 10. Look at verse 10. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. And he's taking, uh, he's assuming that we will know that he's talking about someone who repents, who says a word against Christ or who um, loses their nerve and stays silent and refuses to acknowledge him before men. He's saying forgiveness is wide open to you. He doesn't want to discourage people. Remember last week, who is he speaking to? He's speaking to his disciples. Remember how he addressed them? My friends, he says in verse 4. I tell you, my friends. And so he's he's, he's not trying to scare them. 
He's telling them, take the eternal perspective. There will be a day when those who have stood up for Christ will be acknowledged before the angels of God. On that same day, those who deny him will be denied before the, son, the, the angels of God. Whatever it means to deny Jesus in verse 9, he promises to forgive us if we look to him in repentance and faith. Verse 10. I think that's why Peter's uh, three denials are, in, are recorded in the Gospels, to encourage us. Because here's, the, here's Peter denying Jesus three times before the rooster crows. And he was restored. He was forgiven. He denied Christ with swearing, it says, but he returned to Christ, sought his forgiveness, and was restored and became a, a tremendous mouthpiece for the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Christianity is a religion of grace. Jesus knows that we are all weak, that we have all stayed silent when we should have opened our mouths to acknowledge him. Jesus knows that we are very aware of our sins. He knows there are times uh, in which we feel like we are the chief of sinners, utterly undeserving of Christ's salvation or his love. So he encourages us by promising his forgiveness in verse 10. Our Lord Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He took our punishment. He who knew no sin became sin for us, so that in Him we might be the righteousness of God. You go to Him and confess your unfaithfulness. God, I denied you. Lord Jesus, I stayed silent when the opportunity was there to tell someone who is hell-bound. I didn't love them enough to, put, to deny myself that they might hear about the wonderful gospel. And you go to him and confess that. Ask for his forgiveness. You have it already. Because in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. In Jesus Christ, you have His righteousness. In God's eyes, it is as if God has forgotten about your sins altogether. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Jesus wants His followers to be absolutely certain that denying him is not the unpardonable sin. There's only one unforgivable sin. It's found in verse 10. I didn't read the rest of verse 10. Verse 10, Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Christians across the ages with tender consciences, have wondered if they have committed the unforgivable sin, or as Jesus calls it, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. What is the blasphemy uh, of the Holy Spirit? Well, remember how the Pharisees were challenging Jesus and calling his miracles, the work of Beelzebul way back in chapter 11. 
They were saying, you're doing this only by the work of, of Satan, calling Christ work, calling the work of the Holy Spirit that, that the Holy Spirit was doing or, or Jesus was doing through the power of the Holy Spirit. They were saying, that's of the devil. Um, the Pharisees were pretty close to blaspheming the Holy Spirit, I would say, when they're doing this. In fact, that's the context for Jesus saying this. Um, the unforgivable sin appears to be someone um, who knows that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he's sent from God, but he attributes his power, Christ's power, to Satan instead of to Christ. So let me assure you, if you are concerned that you've committed the unpardonable sin, the fact that you are concerned shows without a doubt that you have not committed it. If you had committed the unpardonable sin, you wouldn't care if you had committed the unpardonable sin. So you need not be afraid that you somehow blasphemed the Holy Spirit. I'll recognize this passage, verses 8 through 12, is a difficult passage. You know, in one breath, Jesus is talking about denying people who deny him. And in the very next sentence, he begins speaking about the unpardonable sin. It's unsettling. It is. And Jesus knows that we are weak and that we will not have the inward strength and boldness to acknowledge him in the face of opposition. He knew his disciples would need help. He knew that they would need supernatural help. He knows that we need his help. Even if, if this, this next year plays out as, I'm say, as I think it will, with great opportunities, we need God's help in order to acknowledge Christ, in order to proclaim him. Well, what does God promise us? Look at verses 11 and 12. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. When you have those opportunities to acknowledge Christ in 2021, ask him for help. Ask God to pour out his spirit upon you and help you. He's faithful. He'll do it. Lean on him and open your mouth to acknowledge him as we pray together. Oh, Lord God. As we embark on this new year, it's been a hard year. And God, we ask that you would help us to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to stand firm in him and tell our neighbors, our co-workers, our families, even complete strangers about the goodness of God in our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Oh, Lord, help us to acknowledge you. Help us to speak for you when we are in that moment. Lord, help us to uh, go forward regardless of the cost, knowing that you will help us 
in the very hour we need to open our mouth. We ask through Christ, who is our King and Savior. Amen.